Salutations, dear citizens, as we peer into the new fund order to discover the immutable truth for asset management and wealth managers. The lowdown from the dark side, the frontier and the fringe of asset management and fund research. A podcast for wealth managers, fund selectors, distributors and investors, bringing to you the People's Republic podcast of finance, in association with my sponsor, Allianz Global Investors, capturing the latest market news, views and interviews with leading minds in our industry. Allianz Global Investors is one of the world's leading active managers. Joining me in the dojo is Gandhi Gandhidzanwa from Conceptual. He was previously Principal Executive Officer of NMG Smart Fund, an Emerging Market Investment Specialist, Board of Directors Member for the Association of Professional Fund Investors, Ambassador for the Transparency Task Force, and Managing Director for Conceptual Fund Managers Limited. And in these strange pandemic lockdown times, rest assured that all guests are calling in remotely. Welcome, dear citizens, to the New Fund Order. This episode, Boutique Budo, when it comes to emerging managers, is about measuring twice and cutting once. And welcome to the New Fund Order, Gandhi. Um, Seven may fall, but eight will rise, or so the Seven Samurai story goes. Over the last seven weeks, I have assembled Seven Samurai for you to consider and how they may apply to your market, and I guess more globally. Um, It's great to have you on the show, Gandhi. And uh, welcome aboard. Thank you very much, JB. Um, it's great really to, to have me here. And good afternoon, good morning, good evening to your listeners from all over the world. Yeah, it's great to have you aboard, Gandhi. I've been really looking forward to this episode and um, I think we're going to have some fun with it. Looking forward to it. So I'm just going to throw us straight in, Gandhi. Um, I've got seven main questions for you. And, and of course, then I've got my my little bonus round, my little rapid fire round at the at the end, uh, which everyone obviously really loves to uh, to hate. Um, so let's get started with the the first question. In episode one, uh, I was discussing uh, value equity investing with uh, Dan Kemp at Morningstar, and he said value was not so much a matter of faith, but actually a matter of fact, and that ultimately the valuation cycle will once again turn around. So does valuation still matter to you and how does that inform your approach to selecting managers? That's really an interesting one, JB, from, from coming from Dan Camp. Mine is really one of looking at the different investment styles and then blending them all together for optimal results for my clients. That, that's, that's basically what I do. So do I believe that value is dead? No. Uh, do I believe that uh, value is about to stage a huge comeback? Not at all. Bear in mind that for long-term investors, we're not investing for, for the next quarter of the year. No, we're investing for the next quarter of the century. So we have got enough time to really allow value to, to come back if it, is, if it is coming back. If it's not, again, we will see. It's just going to be a matter of time. So we don't aim to be 
investing in any one particular style at its trough or disinvesting out of it at its peak now. We, we allow ourselves time to watch the space and only when we are convinced we then um, change our positions uh, either in terms of allocating a little bit more to that one particular style as it, as it emerges out of the trough or to trim down um, from that particular style once we feel that it's coming down uh, off its peak period. So what we're seeing now is that you know the market can actually be separated into two distinct markets. There is the old economy, which is obviously heavily dominated by your value stocks. Then we have got the new economy, which is obviously dominated by uh, your, your growth stocks. And I think we have seen quite a significant shift in terms of human behavior to the point where one cannot just look at what happened back in 2000 with the dot-com bubble and think that it's going to have a replay here. Absolutely not. Yeah, that's a great point about, I think, the old and the new economy. And I think it's going to be interesting when we start to see those bigger, more mature tech companies get through, I think, that initial phase of growth. Let me move you on to the, the second question. This was the episode number two with Mark Polson from Lancat. These concepts of value and ESG, and uh, where do you see the value of asset management today and tomorrow? That's, that's really another ex- interesting one there, JB. And in terms of where we, we see the role of asset management, I think let me rather start from there. So asset management remains a critical player in as far as the allocation of resources is concerned in any economy and in an environment. And obviously that, to a very large extent, also needs to be speaking directly to what the needs of that economy and environment are. So by that alone, you find that by virtue of obviously different societies and different economies having different needs, what constitutes the right combination of ESG consciousness in one environment tend to differ from from uh, from another. In as much as, of course, there is there is like a global kind of understanding of what ESG consciousness should should look like. I think when one then digs down into the different uh, elements of the ESG, the E on its own, the S on its own, and the G on its own. Dipping, digging, digging deeper into the nuances of those three, you'll find that maybe the one element of ESG where there is kind of universal uh, convergence in terms of what really is this particular uh, notion all about would be the G of the three, you know, matters around governance. Those are, to a very large extent, quite universally kind of um, uh, acceptable principles uh, across, across the globe. The nuances boil down to each individual economy, each individual country, all the way down to each individual investor, uh, based on the lens through which they see the E, the S, and the G. But uh, globally, you know, they, 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 they are some very clear um, standards by which, by which obviously we, we all aspire to, to, to subscribe to. To, to the principles of ESG consciousness. As fund selectors, we're naturally curious, we are naturally cynical, we are naturally analytical. And I think what I'm seeing now is this move from this kind of uh, kumbaya train, which is, you know, it's, a, it's, it's heavily driven by the political narrative. And, and, and well-intentioned it is too. 
But we're moving into now the practical steps. Well, how do we actually make progress? That, for me, feels like the tonic that cures, I think, the accusations of greenwash that we're seeing in fund management right now. Let me move you on to uh, episode three, and this is with our mutual good friend, uh, Chetan Modi. Gandhi, is cost due diligence essential to fund selection today? Are emerging managers and boutiques at a disadvantage to super tankers? Does our industry, frankly, underestimate big tech? I remember listening to Chet on that one, JB, and I found his, his views quite quite intriguing, and they were quite profound. <clears throat> but that this would be my, my, my tech. Isn't it rather surprising and a bit shocking that for an industry that uh, was built on the basis of trust, that we are here today talking about issues like cost transparency, which obviously is also quite closely related to issues around trustworthiness, issues around truthfulness, I just find it mind-boggling at times that uh, for an industry that is supposed to be led by trust, led by truthfulness, led by transparency, we find ourselves having to, to, to even interrogate ourselves and introspect and asking ourselves whether or not we are being truthful enough, whether or not we are being transparent enough. We, we really need, we still have got a long way to go as an industry in as far as cost transparency is concerned. For instance, lately we have seen the introduction of what are so-called zero-fee solutions. We know very well that that it is labeled a zero-fee product or a zero-fee investment solution. It doesn't really mean that it's not costing the investor anything. It is costing the investor something, and in some instances quite a lot. These these zero-fee solutions are actually becoming very popular, extremely popular in some instances overnight. And that's worrying because the more popular they become, the more of them we are going to have. I must obviously once again declare my my interests. I am a a strong fan and advocate of boutique fund, fund management. So from where I am sitting, having qualified, obviously, my interest, I certainly do not think that boutique fund managers are are at a disadvantage. All they need to do is really just to sit back and understand what their core offering is, and then they focus on that. The rest, they, they just need to outsource. And when you look at the value chain of investment management, you quickly realize that the argument for economies of scale only applies to certain functionalities of investment management value chain, but certainly not to, to stock picking, for instance. Why? So those functionalities or those functions of investment management value chain that uh, benefit from economies of scale, I would really strongly recommend boutique fund managers to outsource all of those. The one big advantage that today's boutique fund manager has um, by far better than the boutique fund manager of yesterday is technology. Technology has actually become one of the greatest equalizers uh, in any industry, but more so in the investment management industry. And they should just take advantage of that. Mass distribution and mass customization has never been as easy as it is today. And boutique fund managers should, should absolutely take advantage of that. And further to that, also be in mind that some of these large, long-established managers have got some legacy uh, systems, software platforms to really worry about because it's just 
giving them headers in terms of migrating to more more recent and much cheaper and more cost-effective platforms. So not at all, boutique fund managers are not at a disadvantage. If anything, I think they actually are at an advantage. It's fascinating, I think, that boutiques have for quite some time been on the back foot because they've been squeezed either by the, the super tanker asset managers and then at the other side, as you say, you had this ETF wave. So in episode four, we we really did go left field and uh, we saw the discussion turn existential, Gandhi. And I was talking with, of course, Jerome Tagger from Preventable Surprises. Do you think fund selectors underestimate existential risk? And I suppose from that, what are the main risks that worry you? The question I wanted to, to address together with this is around the threat of, of big tech and whether or not you know the industry should should really be that worried. I know this might sound a bit a bit controversial, but it is it is my honest view. I do not think that really at this time the threat is there, but uh, and maybe it's more a perception of the existence of the threat. I though don't think that it is a real threat, and I will tell you why. Um, in as much as the capability is there from the big tech to actually just come and. Uh, capture the investment management industry, come and invade the investment management industry. I think for a number of reasons, we are not going to see that happening anytime soon. The one is at this point in time, especially around now, I think there are more problems within the tech, big tech home ground for them to worry about and keeping them busy. The second one is investment management on its own, also has got issues around regulation. So not only would they need to deal with their own regulation within the big tech space, they also need to acquaint themselves with the onerous regulations within the investment management industry. That would be the second reason why further delay any kind of invasion into the investment management space. The third one would be around the issue of, of revenues. In my view, there is a lot more money to be made in the big tech space than there is now to be made in the investment management industry. So Robo Advice, when it first arrived in town, uh, the reception wasn't as great as, as, as it had been projected. But one could make the statement that maybe maybe the market wasn't ready for, for Robo Advice then. Uh, on its rebound now in the era of Bitcoin, in the era of Zoom, in the era of synthetic meat, for instance, Robo-advice doesn't sound that strange and, and exotic anymore. It's going to be dependent on the ability of the fund selection community to actually stay ahead of the curve in terms of providing real tangible value to investors. And you know how much I preoccupy my mind with um, the the existential and I guess the, the the threat of technology. And I think it's going to come in a variety of different ways. And I think the that that idea that it was the only threat I guess was going to be robo advice. I think I think you're right, and I think it was to some degree was is now outdated. I'm going to take you into a slightly more contentious space, Gandhi. In episode five, we had our good friend uh, Bella from Fundscape. Does there need to be a better fund governance of fund gatekeepers? And what are the lessons of star manager bias blow ups? And of course, again, those super tankers. The question, who is going to police the police, uh, JB, doesn't it? Any other additional layer of oversight function would come at a cost. And that cost ultimately would be from the accounts 
of, of, of investors. And at this point in time, and like any other point in time, I don't think the industry needs to be adding another layer of, of cost to, to, to investors. The, the fund selection, the gatekeepers community needs to, to introspect. There are particular areas where when one looks at the gatekeeping community, you kind of feel like there is room for improvement. When gatekeepers go out there, one of the demands that they make to fund managers is around issues on diversity. But when one looks at their own makeup of the, of the teams that are demanding diversity from fund managers, you actually find them wanting, wanting at times. That, that's the one. The other one is on, on the environment. Obviously, there is, there is a push coming through from gatekeepers to fund managers that uh, they, 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 should, they should be responsible proxies when, they, when they're voting for or against resolutions that the investee companies are passing in as far as their effect to, to the environment is concerned. But also prior to COVID-19 and, and the lockdowns, one would have just needed not look very far in terms of where gatekeepers stand with regards to that, to that just by virtue of looking at the number of global trips uh, polluting the environment that gatekeepers were so much used to. Of course, with coming of the pandemic and, and the ensuing lockdowns, uh, we have seen a pause of that. One hopes that when we go back to the new norm, that that kind of new norm is going to see by far fewer international trips, even local trips from gatekeepers as they go out to research, to research different, different fund managers. So yeah, so this kind of reoccurring theme, I think, of professionalism, or at times, you know, when it's it's a little bit lacking, I think that we're just going to keep coming back to this. And it's obviously, it's one of the reasons that uh, you and I uh, have campaigned for so many years for greater professionalism in uh, fund gatekeeping. Look, just a few weeks ago, I interviewed Hugh uh, from Fitz Partners, and um, unfortunately, I'm going to drag you back into the into the cost debate, uh, Gandhi. But we discussed the importance of the the USITS brand of funds, and I guess fund governance generally in Europe. How do you think that stacks up against other markets? Uh, what can they learn from Europe? But also perhaps what can they do better? What we have been observing from Europe is really this accelerated introduction of new pieces of legislation, new, new ways of doing things and new practices being demanded of either by the industry itself um, or by the, by the regulatory authorities. And from a distance, I can just say to you that as, as, as in the industry ourselves, we obviously look up to, up, to, up to Europe. And I'm sure it will be the same for many other markets as well. We here in South Africa are lagging behind. We are nowhere near where, where the European market is, but we, 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 we're catching up. You know, we, we, we're not sitting on our list doing absolutely nothing. Uh, in terms of what legislation is going to be enough, I don't think there is ever going to be a one-word answer for that. Uh, too much of it is just as bad as too little of it. And what legislators and the industry together need to, to converge yet is that, that balancing, balancing that thin line that balances the two. I, I think maybe there, there is still some, some, some room to, for more legislation, especially for as long as the industry and the industry players are failing to, to do their part. Surely we shouldn't be surprised that they, there would be more and more pieces and provisions of legislation being, 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 being placed on the industry. 
but I think the onus is upon the, the industry players themselves. I know we're covering a, a heck of a lot of different themes here. You know, everything from you know, as I say, the, the the role of gatekeepers to ESG to Woodford, which itself is a fascinating thing. And I've got uh, David Ricketts coming on to the show later in the season to talk about his book when the fund stops. Look, that just leaves our seventh samurai, and it's one we know very well, and that's, of course, Musi Kadein. And we discussed in the last episode how the industry had changed and his reflections on that. Uh, we talked about the new generation of fund buyers coming through. They're not having that first-hand experience, I guess, of the great financial crisis and how that perhaps changes their perceptions of risk. Um, he also said the the role of the fund selector may change in future as a result of technology. You know, when we gather all these different uh, topics together in in the in the seven episodes, how important is professionalism to that future? And of course, how does that link in with your work at the Association of Professional Fund Investors? What I found rather quite puzzling is that it wasn't until 2011 that the the community of fund allocators actually decided to come together and say, look, we need to professionalize, or at least we need to get to a point where we are recognized as fund allocators within the financial or the investment management value chain. So professionalism remains very much key. It has always been key. And technology is going to play a very critical role in terms of what value adds that professional fund allocators are going to, to be able to bring to the table. Because this is obviously something that we're quite focused on at the Association of Professional Fund Investors. It is really around training, especially the new fund selectors, uh, in terms of what it is really, it means to be a fund selector of the 20, 21st century, for instance. So there is really a lot of work to be done in that regard. But also to just share experiences and, and, and come up with ideas from across the globe in terms of what the best practices of fund selection and fund allocation should be as we, as we go forward. So that's, that's the role that uh, the association plays and that's the role that it will need to continue to play to bring better value to investors at the most cost-effective ways possible. Thanks, Gandhi. Yes, and I'll drop a link to the Association of Professional Fund Investors in the uh, in the podcast show, so that uh, fund selectors that are tuning in they can uh, find their way to the APFI and find out how to join. Look, Gandhi, that's our seven samurai. I'm really, really happy that you've kind of come on the show to help me review the first uh, seven episodes of the show and I'm I'm very glad for you to be our eighth samurai um, to you know to cover all these issues but before I let you go um, I do have to I'm afraid ask you this uh, uh, quick rapid fire round of 10 questions and if you are ready question number one bull or bear bull question number two bogle or buffett buffett question number three Profit or planet? Planet, of course. Now we're cooking on gas. Question four, divest or engage? Engage. Question number five, lower cost or better value? Well, that's an interesting one. Better value. (laughs) Uh, Question number six, perhaps even more interesting one, but I suspect I know how you're going to answer. Super tankers or boutiques? Boutiques squared. 
if 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 if, if that is an option. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's botics and more botics. Question seven: Star managers or team players? Team players, JB. Question eight: Public or private? Is there an option like a good combination of both? No, nope, there really isn't. <laughs> okay, public. Question nine: High growth or stable income? Stable income. And question ten: The one that everyone loves to hate: socialism or free markets? In twenty twenty one, it can only be free markets. <laughs> and next is the the bonus question. If I can ask you to pick a number between eleven and forty. Between 11 and 40, that would be number 27. Question 27. Religion or humanism? Hmm. That's a difficult one, yeah? I'll go with religion. So that marks the end of our interview, Gandhi. You have survived the newfound order. You have reviewed with me the the seven samurai of uh, fun selection. I just want to say uh, thanks very much for coming on to the show. It's been uh, it's been great fun. Thanks, JB. It was really a pleasure being in the show and being your guest. I really look forward to more invitations like this one. And I also, even more importantly, look forward to more episodes with the rest of your other guests that you've lined up. Please don't forget to like and share and subscribe. You know, click the subscribe button. A new podcast every two weeks with a new guest. Stay tuned. A big thanks to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Brought to you by my sponsor, Allianz Global Investors. And a warm thanks to today's guest. Legally, I am compelled to remind everyone that all views of this podcast are, of course, independent and do not belong to any affiliation or organisation just in case that was in any doubt. Tune in for the next podcast every two weeks from The New Fund Order. Please subscribe, share, like and comment. Let me know what you think and what you'd like covered in future episodes. Until then, stay safe and keep it left field.